The Fifth Mansion, Chapter 3 of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Interior Castle, or The Mansions, by St. Teresa of Avila, translated by the Benedictines of Stanbrook. Let us now return to our little dove and see what graces God gives it in this state. This implies that the soul endeavors to advance in the service of our Lord and in self-knowledge. If it receives the grace of union and then does no more, thinking itself safe, and so leads a careless life, wandering off the road to heaven, that is, the keeping of the commandments, it will share the fate of the butterfly that comes from the silkworm which lays some eggs that produce more of its kind, and then dies forever. I say it leaves some eggs, for I believe God will not allow so great a favor to be lost, but that if the recipient does not profit by it, others will. For while it keeps to the right path, this soul, with its ardent desires and great virtues, helps others and kindles their fervor with its own. Yet even after having lost this, it may still long to benefit others and delight to make known the mercies shown by God to those who love and serve him. I knew a person to whom this happened. Although greatly erring, she longed that others should profit by the favors God had bestowed on her and taught the way of prayer to people ignorant of it, thus helping them immensely. God afterwards bestowed fresh light upon her. Indeed, the prayer of union had not hitherto produced the above effects in her. How many people there must be to whom our Lord communicates himself, who, like Judas, are called to the apostleship and made kings by him, as was Saul, yet who afterwards lose everything by their own fault. We should learn from this, sisters, that if we would merit fresh favors and avoid losing those we already possess, our only safety lies in obedience and in following the law of God. This I say both to those who have received these graces and to those who have not. In spite of all I have written, there still seems some difficulty in understanding this mission. The advantage of entering is so great that it is well that none should despair of doing so because God does not give them the supernatural gifts described above. With the help of divine grace, true union can always be attained by forcing ourselves to renounce our own will and by following the will of God in all things. Oh, how many of us affirm that we do this and believe we seek nothing else, indeed would die for the truth of what we say. If this be the case, I can only declare, as, as I fancy I did before, and I shall again and again, that we have already obtained this grace from God. Therefore, we need not wish for that other delightful union described above. For its chief value lies in the resignation of our will to that of God, without which it could not be reached. Oh, how desirable is this union! The happy soul which has attained it will live in this world and in the next without care of any sort. No earthly events can trouble it unless it should see itself in danger of losing God or should witness any offense offered him. Neither sickness, poverty, nor the loss of 
any one by death affected, except that of persons useful to the church of God, for the soul realizes thoroughly that God's disposal is wiser than its own desires. You must know that there are different kinds of sorrow. There are both griefs and joys rising from an impulse of nature or from a charity which makes us pity our neighbor, like that felt by our Savior when he raised Lazarus from the dead. These feelings do not destroy union with the will of God, nor do they disturb the soul by a restless, turbulent, and lasting passion. They soon pass away, for as I said of sweetness in prayer, they do not affect the depths of the soul, but only its senses and faculties. They are found in the former mansions, but do not enter the last of all. Is it necessary, in order to attain this kind of divine union, for the powers of the soul to be suspended? No. God has many ways of enriching the soul and bringing it to these mansions besides what might be called a shortcut. But be sure of this, my daughters. In any case, the silkworm must die and it will cost you more in this way. In the former manner, this death is facilitated by finding ourselves introduced into a new life. Here, on the contrary, we must give ourselves the death blow. I own that the work will be much harder, but then it will be of a higher value, so that our reward will be greater if, if you come forth victorious. Yet there is no doubt it is possible for you to attain this true union, with the will of God. This is the union I have longed for all my life, and that I beg our Lord to grant me. It is the most certain and the safest. But alas, how few of us ever obtain it. Those who are careful not to offend God and who enter the religious state think there is nothing more to do. How many maggots remain hidden until, like the worm which gnawed at Jonah's ivy, they have destroyed our virtues. These pests are such evils as self-love, self-esteem, rash judgment of others, even in small matters, and a want of charity and not loving our neighbor quite as much as ourselves. Even though preforce we satisfy our obligations sufficiently to avoid sin, Yet we fall far short of what must be done in order to obtain perfect union with the will of God. What do you think, daughters, is his will? That we may become perfect and so be made one with him and with his Father as he prayed we might be. Observe, then, what is wanting in us to obtain this. I assure you, it is most painful for me to write on this subject, for I see how far I am, through my own fault, from having attained perfection. There is no need for us to receive special consolations from God in order to arrive at conformity with His will. He has done enough in giving us His Son to teach the way. This does not mean that we must so submit to the will of God as not to sorrow at such troubles as the death of a father or brother. We must bear crosses and sickness with joy. This is well, but it sometimes comes from common sense, which, as we cannot help ourselves, makes a virtue of necessity. How often the great wisdom of the heathen philosophers led them to act thus in trials of this kind. Our Lord asks but two things of us. Love for him 
and for our neighbor. These are what we must strive to obtain. If we practice both these virtues perfectly, we shall be doing his will, and so shall be united to him. But as I said, we are very far from obeying and serving our great master perfectly in these two matters. May his majesty give us the grace to merit union with him. It is in our power to gain it if we will. I think the most certain sign that we keep these two commandments is that we have a genuine love for others. We cannot know whether we love God, although there may be strong reasons for thinking so. But there can be no doubt about whether we love our neighbor or no. Be sure that in proportion as you advance in fraternal charity, you are increasing in your love of God. For His Majesty bears so tender affection for us that I cannot doubt He will repay our love for others by augmenting in a thousand different ways that which we bear for Him. We should watch most carefully ourselves in this matter. For if we are faultless on this point, we have done all. I believe human nature is so evil that we could not feel a perfect charity for our neighbor unless it were rooted in the love of God. In this most important matter, sisters, we should be most vigilant in little things, taking no notice of the great works we plan during prayer, which we imagine that we would perform for other people, even perhaps for the sake of saving a single soul. If our actions afterwards belie these grand schemes, there is no reason to imagine that we should do anything of the sort. I say the same of humility and the other virtues. The devil's wiles are many. He would turn hell upside down a thousand times to make us think ourselves better than we are. He has good reason for it for such fancies are most injurious. Sham virtues springing from this root are always accompanied by vainglory, never found in those of divine origin, which are free from pride. It is amusing to see souls who, while they are at prayer, fancy they are willing to be despised and publicly insulted for the love of God, yet afterwards do all they can to hide their small defects. If anyone unjustly accuses them of a fault, God deliver us from their outcries. Let those who cannot bear such things take no notice of the splendid plans they made when alone, which could have been no genuine determination of the will, but only some trick of the imagination, or the results would have been very different. The devil assaults and deceives people in this way, often doing great harm to women and others too ignorant to understand the difference between the powers of the soul and the imagination and a thousand other matters of the sort. Oh, sisters, how easy it is to know which of you have attained a sincere love of your neighbor, and which of you are far from it. If you knew the importance of this virtue, your only care would be to gain it. When I see people very anxious to know what sort of prayer they practice, covering their faces and afraid to move or think lest they should lose any slight tenderness and devotion they feel. I know how little they understand how to attain union with God, since they think it consists in such things as these. No, sisters, no. Our Lord expects works from us. If you see a sick sister whom you can relieve, never fear losing your devotion. 
compassionate her. If she is in pain, feel for it as if it were your own, and when there is need, fast, so that she may eat, not so much for her sake, as because you know your Lord asset of you. This is the true union of our will with the will of God. If someone else is well spoken of, be more pleased than if it were yourself. This is easy enough, for if you were really humble, it would vex you to be praised. It is a great good to rejoice at your sister's virtues being known, and to feel sorry for the fault you see in her as if it were yours, hiding it from the sight of others. I have often spoken on this subject elsewhere, because, my sisters, if we fail in this, I know that all is lost. Please, God, this may never be our case. If you possess fraternal charity, I assure you that you will certainly obtain the union I have described. If you are conscious that you are wanting in this charity, although you may feel devotion and sweetness and a short absorption in the prayer of quiet, which makes you think you have attained to union with God, believe me, you have not reached it. Beg our Lord to grant you perfect love for your neighbor and leave the rest to him. He will give you more than you know how to desire if you constrain yourselves and strive with all your power to gain it, forcing your will as far as possible to comply in all things with your sister's wishes, although you may sometimes forfeit your own rights by doing so. Forget your self-interest for theirs however much nature may rebel. When opportunity occurs, take some burden upon yourself to ease your neighbor of it. Do not fancy it will cost you nothing, and that you will find it all done for you. Think what the love he bore for us cost our spouse, who, to free us from death, himself suffered the most painful death of all the death of the cross.